The subject today is the book of Galatians. So we'll just dive right into it. Galatians is a letter from a man not to be trifled with. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. You better pay attention to me, he writes. I've got the credentials. It's a very personal letter, and it bristles with indignation. He's upset because he's writing to people that had come to Christ. But there were some other religious types who thought they knew better than those people did who were trying to undo the gospel in their lives. They're trying to turn the relationship with Christ, which is a personal thing, one that promises freedom and closeness to God, they were trying to turn it into something legalistic, like, like religion in its most negative, demanding form. They're insisting on the very legalism that Paul had sacrificed his, his later part of his life to help rescue people from. So, he shows his irritation from the start. He jumps from the usual salutations, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, to a scolding. Usually there's a word of thanksgiving for people. It was the, the normal thing to do in the letter writing of the time. No, he skips that. <clears throat> he, uh, he jumps right in. I'm astonished, he writes, that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of God, the grace of Christ, and you're turning to a different gospel, which really is no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion. They're trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Strong stuff. And if you're going to be that blunt, you'd better have the credentials to back up what you're saying. And he does. He's an apostle, one sent by Christ, and, and the defense of his authority takes up much of the first couple of chapters of, of this book, he wants them to know he's got a right to say what he's saying. And what he's saying is that salvation comes through faith in Jesus, not in laws and rules and regulations of religion. Now, what so upsets him is that their freedom is being threatened. And that's something pretty basic. Our, our freedom is pretty important to us. One of the fun things about living a long time is that you see generation after generation after generation. And so I've been watching now several generations of two-year-olds. We've got a new batch. And uh, there's a reason we talk about the terrible twos. They are kind of terrible. But what is, a, what is a terrible two striving for? Freedom. I want, I want to be able to walk where I want to. I want to be able to say what I want to. I want to be able to make my own decisions. I want to be free. Well, when do we outgrow that? Don't know that we ever do. I know I haven't. So, to help us understand what this freedom means, Paul sets up some, some contrasts here so that we won't veer off to one extreme or the other. The, the first of this uh, sets of contrasts is this one. Our, our freedom in Christ over against the restrictions of legalistic religion. We had a we had some friends who visited us years ago when our children were small, their children were small, and their, their little daughter, Brenda, who must have been about, I want to say about three, 
she kept getting into trouble because our house wasn't really very childproof. And so she would pick up something and she'd be told, no, no, that's a no-no. And then she'd go for something else. And finally, in absolute exasperation, she stood in the middle of our living room and she said, that's a no-no. That's a no-no. That's a no-no. Everything's a no-no. Well, no wonder she was frustrated. And there are a lot of people who are frustrated because that's their perception of religion. And it is that that Christ has set us free from. Paul says uh, we've been set free from legalism over in the fifth chapter. In fact, it's a good idea to memorize this chapter 5, verse 1. It, it's for freedom. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now you see, if, if, if you're saved by law, if you're saved by all these rules and regulations, these do's and don'ts, these no-no's, if you're saved by them, if that's your understanding, then you'd better be certain you keep all of them. Learned that lesson the hard way just a few years ago. I, I, I boasted. Some, somebody was talking about getting a ticket, and I said, you know, it has been, and I think at the time it had been about 25 years since I'd had a driving ticket. Now, you ought not to boast about some things. <laughs> that year, I was stopped three times. <laughs> now, I talked my way out of two of them. But there, there was this legalistic cop up in Vermont who had no compassion. <laughs> and I tried everything. In fact, I assured him that I kept the law almost all the time. Didn't mean a thing. I hadn't kept that particular law in that particular state, and as a result of that, I got to go to traffic school. <laughs> if you're going to be saved by the law, you, you keep every jot and tittle of the law. But we've been saved from that. But the tendency is, if you understand that you've been saved from legalistic religion, the tendency is maybe to go clear to the other extreme self-indulgence. I can do what I want to do when I want to do it, and I don't care about the consequences. Well, he deals with that in the fifth chapter as well. He's, he says in the 13th verse, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. And by the flesh, he means the merely human about us. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. The beautiful thing is, in a nutshell, we're, we're free to be something better. He touches on this in the sixth uh, chapter, verse 15, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, the most, the, the most prominent of the uh, Jewish rites that he deals with here, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Now, we underscore that every time there's a baptism. You'll hear something like this, you walk, you walk into the water, and, uh, and you are lifted down under the water, and you bury your sins in the water. It's, it, it is like a burial, but it's also like a birth in the water. And you come up out of the water to walk in newness of life, to walk as a new creation. What you were in the past, it's done, it's over, it's, it, it's buried and forgotten. Now, Paul takes that really seriously because that's what happened to him. What is pictured in baptism 
is what he experienced in his life. He was, now, he was a religious guy. In fact, he was a religious fanatic who would stop at nothing, even killing, to make certain that everybody else subscribed to his religious views. And that's why it matters so much to him, because he had lived so many years in spiritual bondage. That's why it matters so much to him to be able to protect these Galatians who are under attack. Now, it's awfully easy for freedom to be misunderstood. Toni Morrison tells a delightful story that her grandfather told. There was a, a little boy of about five back in the time of the Civil War, and, and he began to hear people talking about emancipation. Emancipation is coming. And he knew that it was very important. He didn't know what it was, but he could feel the tension in the air growing. And, and, and since he didn't know what it was, and since there was tension in the air, he decided it, it, it must be a monster. So when the actual day of emancipation came, he was so scared he ran and hid under the bed. Well, these, these Judaizers, these are what we call these people who were trying to get the Galatians not only to be Christian, but to be Christian and Jewish, keeping the law of Moses, keeping the Old Testament. They were also afraid of emancipation, but, but they weren't hiding under a bed. Instead, they were just insisting that everybody else, everybody else, keep the religious chains on. No emancipation for them. Now, you, you have to understand, they were doing this for the very best of reasons. They thought that they were doing what God wanted them to do. What makes religion so dangerous is just this. Certain religious people want to do and want everybody else to do what they think God wants. And they'll do anything they have to do to make certain that other people toe the line. So you will find these people in picket lines at funerals, writing nasty letters to the editor, posting their insults on Facebook, going on jihad and killing those who, do with the, uh, who disagree with them. In the name of God, people can be very ungodly. I've come to think of Galatians, particularly in this study, as an old man's letter. I identify with it more and more the older I get. When I was young, things looked pretty black and white to me. It was very clear to me what I should be and what I should do and and what I should be against and what I should not do. It was equally clear to me that I was on God's side and God was on my side, so everybody else should agree with me because I knew what God wanted for them. It's not so clear now. Probably because I've made so many mistakes. I've been wrong so often in the language of the Scriptures I've sinned much. So, I know how much I stand in the need of grace and forgiveness and mercy. So it's become really much harder for me to judge other people. Freedom, you understand, is all tied up with grace. We, we received our freedom by the grace of God. We extend freedom by our own graciousness. I, I first caught on to this when our children were small, they were still at home, and uh, 
And I, I had to admit, I, I, I was a husband who was far less of a husband than I should have been. Yet my wife wanted me anyway. And my children, I probably made every mistake a father could make. And my children wanted me anyway. And as a pastor, <laughs> if you'd have talked to the leaders and the members of the church where I was a pastor, they would have been able to point out to you all the mistakes that I made. And they wanted me anyway. And it hit me. I was a husband by the grace of my wife. I was a father by the grace of my children. I was a pastor by the grace of the church members and leaders. I was a Christian by the grace of God. And, and as inadequate as I was in all these dimensions of my life, I learned that to get better, I didn't need more rules and regulations. They fenced me in. In fact, they became a cause of my own stumbling and made me resent myself more for stumbling. What I needed was grace, forgiveness, mercy. And I'm not alone. I think it is this grace that Paul is trying to protect. It is this freedom that matters so much to him. So the first contrast is that one between freedom of Christ on the one hand and legalistic religion on the other hand. The second contrast he sets up for us is that of walking by faith or walking with a guardian to make sure that we toe the line. Chapters 2 to 4, they're, they're all about that. And, and Paul says in one way or the other, when you are free in Christ, you are free. You are free to let others be free. We don't have to dictate their behavior, and we don't have to get all upset when they do something that we think they shouldn't. We're free to eat what we want to eat. That matters to me. And we're free to eat with whoever we want to eat with. That matters to me. And, and that comes up because he caught Peter, the, the great apostle Peter, fudging. Peter understood that the gospel was for everybody, including the Gentiles. P Peter used to eat with the Gentiles as well as eat kosher with the Jews. But one day there were some, some religious leaders that appeared, and, and Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles as he had been doing. Paul said, to him, you're out of line. You're out of line. When you are in Christ, you eat what you want and you eat with whomever you want to eat. Because you see, when you're in Christ, you can love whom God wants us to love and God loves the whole world. It is, do you understand, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free to love. Therefore, we must stand firm and not let ourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now, in, in chapters 2, 3, and 4, he talks about the guardian, and it, that's a good picture. That's his metaphor for the Old Testament, for the Old Testament law, the law of Moses. He says that was there to help us and to lead us up to Christ. But now that Christ has come, we're free from the guardian. When I was a little boy, I used to walk to school, and I walked to school with, with, with a gang of children. One, just a bunch of children, all of us, but one mother. There was one little boy in our group whose mother did not trust him or us. She thought it 
it was imperative that she come along to keep him safe, to make sure that he behaves, that he do right, that we all do right. So we had a guardian who took us to school. That went on for several years. Kind of sad, really. Because she didn't realize her boy was growing. He didn't need a guardian anymore. He was fine on his own. No, no, she stayed with him. Now, this is the argument that Paul is presenting here. He says, we don't need the guardian anymore. We've come to the, we've come to the point of maturity in our faith in Christ. We, we can walk to school by ourselves. We are free from the guardian. So, we're free to let others be free. We're free, we, we're free to eat what we want. I have to pause there because I can't get past that one without thinking about when George H.W. Bush was our president. I, I, he probably did a lot of good things. I don't know how history is going to write up his presidency, but I have loved him for one thing, and, that, and it was picked up by the news media, and that is that he said to his wife, now that I am president, I don't have to eat broccoli. Now, there's some greatness in that statement. <laughs> All right, folks, now that we're in Christ, oh, I shouldn't say this with children in the room. In the name of religion, you don't have to eat broccoli. You may have to eat broccoli in the name of your mother. Okay, let me go on to... <laughs> we are free, do you get the point? We are free to love whom God wants us to love, and God so loved the world the world that he gave his son. We are free to walk to school by ourselves. The third contrast, life in the spirit versus life in the flesh. Again, when he uses the term flesh, he's not just thinking of skin and bones and sinew. No, he's thinking of that which is merely human about us as opposed to to what we're like when we're in the Spirit. Oh, you foolish Galatians. This is chapter 3. You foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? After receiving the Spirit, he's saying, are you still trying to attain your goal by human effort only? You see, this Christian faith is about our relationship with God through Christ. It isn't about the multiplied do's and don'ts. It is, it is about accepting the fact that we're accepted. The trouble that, that, that we were in before we came to Christ, we're out of now because of Christ. Do you want to throw that all away, he writes to Galatians? Do you want to throw that all away and go back to where you have to make sure that, that, that you're crossing the T's and dotting the I's of every action? Oh, he says in chapter 5, verse 6, the only thing that counts... Faith expressed through love. So don't lose your freedom. Don't lose your freedom to the dictates of legalistic religion. Don't lose your freedom to the demands of self-indulgence. Don't go back to trying to save yourself by your own effort. Walk in the Spirit. Now, I can't make this any clearer than Paul does, so I just want to read quite a bit of Scripture to you. Chapter 5, beginning with verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, 
so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now comes the contrast. First, the negative. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. Drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I, I checked this passage out in the message, the, the paraphrase written by Eugene Peterson. He makes it even more graphic. Same passage. This is what he says. It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyous, joyless grabs for happiness. Trinket gods. Magic show religion. Paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants. A brutal temper. An impotence to love and be loved. Divided homes and divided lives. Small-minded and lopsided pursuits. The vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival. Uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions. Ugly parodies of community. I could go on. Aren't you glad he doesn't? Did you recognize anybody you know in that list? Maybe yourself. Turn for relief then to the next verses from Paul. But the fruit of the Spirit, that is the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of freedom in Christ, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance here, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there's no law. You understand why there's no law? There's no need for a law around people who bear the fruit of the Spirit. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. When Nelson Mandela died only weeks ago, that great and that remarkable South African leader was written up, talked about a lot. One statement he had made was quoted in one article that I read, and it was this one. This man who had spent 27 years in prison and who had every right to be bitter and to come out seeking his revenge, this man, this peacemaker, said, for to be free is not merely to cast off one's chains, but to live in a way that respects and enhances the freedom of others. That's awfully close to the spirit of Galatians, isn't it? And awfully close to the spirit of our Lord who said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. You shall love your neighbor 
as yourself. Did you hear? It is for freedom that Christ has set you free.